Well, if you have your Bible in whatever form it might be, whether it's on your phone or on your tablet or in your book form or whatever it is, go ahead and open it up to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're picking up where we left off last time. Now, it's my personal opinion about sandwiches that a sandwich should include all of the main food groups so that a sandwich can be a complete meal, providing your body with everything it needs to grow and remain healthy. Now, look at this sandwich. I mean, that is a nice sandwich. Amen? I mean, we should have a contest to see who can identify the most things that are in that sandwich. I think I counted 11. See if you can beat that. So while we're talking here a little bit, now I'm not opposed to the occasional cucumber finger sandwich. I'll eat those too. But we can't live off those little things. I'm talking here about the kind of sandwich you can live and thrive on, and that is a sandwich that you can live and thrive on. Well, we're going to be talking about a spiritual sandwich today which includes everything that we need to remain healthy and growing. We began a study through the letter of 2 Peter last time. We talked about the man who wrote the letter, the Apostle Peter, and then we looked at the opening greeting and blessing in the first two verses. Today we're going to pick up where we left off, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1. Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter tells us that everything, and the word there means everything, Peter tells us that everything we need for living a life that pleases God is provided for us by God's power which comes to us through our knowledge of him. Last time we talked about how this knowledge that Peter's talking about here is not just the accumulation of information about God. This knowledge is a personal, intimate, relational knowledge. It's not just knowing about God, but knowing God. And this knowing God comes to us through Jesus Christ, who has made God known and knowable for us. This knowing God through Jesus is the conduit for this transforming power of God in our life. And in verse 4, he says here, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, his very great and precious promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's a mouthful. God has given us his very great and precious promises, which are all found in Jesus Christ, so that we can participate in or share in the divine nature. Well, what does that mean? that we can participate in or share in the divine nature. Well, it doesn't mean that we will get swallowed up and absorbed into the God essence. Christianity does not teach that we will become one with God in that way. Instead, Christianity teaches that we will remain distinct from God as our own individual beings, but we will share in his nature, becoming increasingly like Jesus Christ. We are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But now that transformation, it begins when we receive Christ as our Savior, putting our faith in him. Then we 
as we walk with Christ in this life, growing in our knowing of him, we are becoming more and more like him. And when we pass from this life into eternity, we will be completely changed in his glorious likeness. The the wonderful foretaste of the divine nature of Jesus will be fully realized and we will no longer struggle to take hold of it as we do in this life. You're thinking, Jeff, you're about ready to blow my mind up with all that stuff. Hang in there. We're, we're, we're going to work our way through this because it's, it's, this is one of the most beautiful passages in the Scripture. I just love these verses that we're looking at today. Peter says so much. We will still be the unique individuals that God has created, but we will have the likeness of Jesus, each uniquely representing and expressing his glory. See, we are not and will not become clones of Jesus as if stamped out of some mold over and over again. Identical. The glory of Christ is so vast and inexhaustible that each of us will be like a beautiful custom-cut diamond, uniquely reflecting the infinite aspects of the glory of Jesus. Each of us will be like Jesus, but uniquely glorious. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul wrote this, he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The, the thought that we can participate in, share in this divine nature that we can be brought to life spiritually and become more and more like Jesus Christ in this life and finally at death be transformed completely into the image of Jesus Christ that ought to fill our heart with joy and worship. Christian, as we walk with Jesus Christ in this life, growing in our knowing him, we're being changed. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And I will not be the same person I am 10 years from now. And one day we are going to be entirely, completely, totally changed to be like Jesus, sharing in his glory and his goodness. Everything we need is found in Jesus Christ. Growing in our knowing of him connects us to his power that enables us to share in the new life and nature of Jesus. He continues in verse 5 to elaborate on this. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to the top of verse 5. It says, for this very reason, because the Lord has given us everything we need through Jesus Christ to participate in, 
to share in the divine nature, make every effort to do this, he says. Peter then lists qualities that characterize a person who is participating in the divine nature in this life. Verse 8 tells us that if these qualities are present in our life in increasing measure, we will have a fruitful, effective, meaningful, impactful life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to note that it says in verse 8, we are to have these qualities in increasing measure or actively growing in us. See, this is not a static thing in which we obtain these qualities and we're then done. Rather, it's a dynamic, active, moving, growing, increasing thing in which we have these qualities continuing to grow and increase in our life. We are to always be in a growing state in this life. Now, I want to encourage those of you who feel discouraged with your spiritual growth and progress. I want to tell you that this life is not a one-and-done kind of thing. It's a dynamic, continuous progression toward the goal that Jesus has called us to. We will have seasons of great growth and also others of great struggle. What matters is the overarching movement of our life toward Jesus Christ rather than the stuff in the moment which can be all over the place. One moment we're rocking it, and the next moment we're thinking, I'm going to hell. (laughs) And I want to tell you that it's not in those crazy moments that we're to focus our attention on, but this overarching movement of our life toward Jesus Christ. See, the fact that you are not satisfied with your spiritual growth, it indicates that you are in motion toward Jesus. Your heart yearns for more of Him. You desire to be more like Him. That's good. That says you're moving. Make every effort to add to your faith, he says in verse 5. This phrase translated, make every effort, it means exactly that. Do your best to accomplish this. Apply all of your energy to do this. Peter's telling us to make this our life pursuit, to add to our faith, goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and mutual affection, and love. These are qualities that will be present in the life of a person with genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ. Does it mean that you're going to have all these things perfectly or overwhelmingly in your life, but they'll be there. These are not qualities that we must have in our life in order to be saved, but they're qualities that should be in our life if we are saved. They are qualities we are to pursue in our life if we are saved. It says, add to your faith. The idea here is not that each of these qualities builds upon and leads to the next one, as in a chain of events. You have faith, and then you add goodness, and then you add knowledge, and then you add self-control and so forth. Instead, we are to make every effort to have all of these qualities in our life, growing in all of them, 
This is participating and sharing in the divine nature of Jesus Christ. That's what participating in the divine nature is, is that we will have these things in our life, that we are growing in the character of Jesus. We're becoming like Jesus. That's participating in the divine nature because he is the divine nature. This is the spiritual sandwich that I mentioned earlier. This sandwich has everything we need to remain healthy and growing as a Christian. Some of you may remember me using this illustration a number of years ago when we studied this passage. It's funny how we can remember the illustrations and the stories, but we don't have such good recall of the truths that were taught as part of it, huh? Me included. I remember the story. But I don't remember what the point of the story was. It's like, okay, that was a good story, but I don't remember. Why did he tell me that story? Well, we'll try to remember. Why did we talk about this spiritual sandwich? All right, let's talk about that. Faith. Our spiritual life begins with faith. Faith in the promises of God that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Faith in the sacrificial death of Jesus for our sins. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus to give us eternal life. Faith in the transforming power and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Faith in the second coming of Jesus to complete the rescuing of the creation. Through faith, we take hold of Jesus Christ as our Savior and all that comes with Him. Faith is the foundation that the rest of this sandwich is built on. Onto faith, we add goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love and mayonnaise. No, not mayonnaise. Just checking to see if you were listening. Goodness means moral goodness. We're to live good lives and do good in this life. We aren't to be living in the marginal areas. We aren't supposed to have questionable behavior. Our life should be lived above reproach, above criticism, as Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.2. None of us are perfect, but this is the target we're to be aiming for with our life. Goodness. To be good. To do good. Knowledge. We should be on a quest to continually grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. The Christian faith. The content of Scripture. Deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just showing up to a church service a couple times a month is, is not it. That, that's not pursuing and growing in knowledge. We ought to be making a deposit into our growing and knowing Jesus bank every day. Every day. Self-control. The exercising of control over my desires and actions. Proverbs 25, 28, I, I like this proverb. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. 
in ancient days, you know, a city would build walls around it. And that's, that was its main defense mechanism against enemies, against wild animals coming in. And if the city's walls were broken down, it was vulnerable. Whatever enemy or wild animal on the outside could just come right in. And you'll remember, if an enemy would conquer you, it would tear your city walls down so that you would be defenseless, so that it could control you. Self-control is a city with its walls intact. Self-control is our defense against sinful desires that wage war against our soul. Without self-control, we're defenseless against our sinful desires. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. The point is, having control of oneself rather than just being the, this wild warrior attacking and going after everything all the time. It's like, dude, you're out of control. You're not helping. You're not effective. We want to be under control. Self-control. Paul told Timothy that in the last days, they will be characterized by people without self-control. They'll let their passions and their anger and their frustration and their lust just run. They won't control themselves. Perseverance. Perseverance means patient endurance, standing firm, holding our ground, courageous, expectant, waiting. Someone defined it as the ability to stand up under difficult circumstances, not giving up when things get hard. James 1.2, James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or difficulties or tests of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Godliness. That Greek word translated godliness, it carries the idea of devotion. This is devotion to living our life in a way that pleases God. We want to grow ever more conscientious of God and in our wanting to please Him with our life. Mutual affection. This is the Greek word Philadelphia, which we have talked about before when we were in our study of First Peter as well. In this context, it refers to affectionate love for fellow believers. We're to be ever growing in our affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to be growing in our love for the church of Jesus. Hebrews 13.1 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And the word there for loving is Philadelphia. Growing in our mutual affection for one another as brothers and sisters. Romans 12.10 uses this word Philadelphia as well. It says, Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. Again, referring to this mutual affection we're to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the church of Jesus. And finally, love. Love is that top slab of the sandwich holding it all together. This is the Greek word agape, which is that self-sacrificing love that God has demonstrated in the giving of his son Jesus for us. This is the love that Paul describes in that famous passage of love found in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the definition of agape love as that Paul gives us. He says, love is patient. Agape is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape love is the crown jewel of all Christian character traits. This is the virtue of virtues. All of these other qualities are connected to love, inspired by love, empowered by love, directed by love, lead back to love. Colossians 3.14, Paul wrote, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Agape love is the primary quality that is supposed to identify and define us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. See, we often make our positions on moral issues the thing that identifies and defines us as a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, that our love is to be the thing that identifies us as his follower. Agape love is supposed to be the thing that earmarks us as a Christian. So we have this spiritual sandwich. Verse 8 says, For if you possess these qualities, the stuff that's in the sandwich, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we keep eating this sandwich, if we continue putting these things into practice, our spiritual life will remain healthy and growing and God will be glorified in our life as he uses us to share his grace with others. And then in verse 9, Peter writes, but whoever does not have them These qualities that we've just talked about. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. The person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and isn't pursuing these qualities in their life, he says, is self-deluded. You're nearsighted and blind, and you've forgotten, he says, what Jesus Christ has rescued you from. 1 John 2.3 John writes, we know that we have come to know him, God, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. These guys are all saying the same thing, aren't they? Peter, Paul, John. Verse 10 of 2 Peter 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, these things we've talked about, these qualities, you will never stumble. And if you will receive and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we do these things, which are listed in verses five through seven, we will grow ever more confident and secure in our salvation, and the peace and joy of Jesus Christ will increase in our life. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Now Peter is not saying that we will never sin. He's saying we will never fall away from our secure place in Jesus Christ and turn our back on him. We will instead be cultivating our relationship with the Lord and growing stronger and stronger in him. See, good works, including these qualities, they do not save us. It's not possible. We've talked about this many times, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this because we just keep, forgetting this in the way that we think and live, it's not possible to be good enough, long enough to ever earn our forgiveness and salvation before holy God. None of us can do it. We can't be good enough long enough. We can be good enough for, you know, like a fraction of a second. I mean, you, you know, you walked into the sanctuary, you sat down, you're thinking, okay, I'm good. I'm good. But before you walk out those doors, I know most of us, if not all of us, have already went right off the rails. You were annoyed with the person singing really off key right behind you. Or, you know, there's always something, right? Bad attitude follows us around. As we learned last time, when we looked at the first two verses of 2 Peter 1, our salvation is a gift to us from God through Jesus Christ. It's a gift to us. But the good works are evidence of salvation and strengthen our assurance of our salvation. We don't live a good life to earn salvation. We live a good life because we have salvation. We don't live a good life to earn salvation. We live a good life because we have salvation. And in that salvation, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That's what we've been talking about. Let's pursue these qualities in our life. And we'll find that our life is rich and full and fruitful and we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in character. 
Let's add to our faith goodness and then knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love. I want to close by taking a look at a parable that Jesus told over in Matthew chapter 25. So you can flip over there with your Bible. Chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus said, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he says, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Note that the servant who did not receive a rich welcome into his master's kingdom was a servant who was afraid of the master, who hid the money for fear that he might lose it. That servant didn't really know the master, did he? He had a false understanding of what the master was really like. He was motivated by fear rather than by love. The return on investment was connected to the servant's knowing of the master. The servants who knew the master had faith in the master. They trusted the master. They were motivated by love for the master, and they were fruitful and effective. The Lord loves you and has given you everything you need for life and godliness in Christ for living a fruitful life that pleases Him. So go for it. You have everything you need. 
He's handed you bags of gold. Don't bury the gold. Go out and live with the gold. The parable, see, it, it doesn't include this situation, but what do you think would have happened if one of those servants had lost the master's money in an investment that went ex- unexpectedly bad? The one with five bags of gold, he went out and he lost all five bags of gold. Would the master have been angry with the servant? Demanded that he pay back all that he lost? No, he would not. Instead, the master would have loved him and encouraged him and given him more money, more gold to try again. Because that is what our master is like. That's what the Lord is like. He's generous and he's kind and he knows us better than we know ourselves. He loves you. You keep at it. You keep at it. Trust the Lord with the results. And a rich welcome is waiting for you. Trust the Lord with the results. You just keep at it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, what an amazing promise it is that you have made for us. What an amazing thing you've done for us. The one who's called us, has provided for us, equipped us, empowered us. Help us, Lord, to take hold of this precious promise that you've given to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would live this week in particular with that knowledge that we have been given everything we need to participate in the divine life and to participate in the life of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.